It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. Yeah. And I can lead the way. Hey there, welcome to Time Out with Ty, the less official podcast of Behind the Buck Pass. Uh, we're back this week, uh, the draft lottery just happened, it was literally the most boring draft lottery in history, so we're not going to talk about it because why would we, literally nothing changed. We're going to talk a little bit of Bucks, some NBA playoff stuff, and some Game of Thrones with my guest this week, who is the ringer's own... Jason Concepcion. I hope I think I pronounced it better sure. in the practice run. I think you did, but it's all right. We'll go. We'll go with that. Okay, Concepcion. thank you. How you yeah. doing, Jason? I'm doing well. I'm glad to hear that. Oh. I want I want your Bucks thoughts because you're a Knicks fan, right? I'm a Knicks fan. So you have a little bit of a Bucks connection. Sure. Yeah. In that, uh, you guys signed Greg Monroe, and I didn't want my team to. Yeah, see, um, I wanted my team too, but I'm I'm kind of sad we did. That's actually not what I meant, though. I did I didn't even uh, think of that one. Oh, uh, Jason Kidd. No, oh, you're There's thinking so of more many. than There's I am. Like There's a lot. lot. There is yeah. a lot of them. I was thinking of Tenassus Atetekumpo. Oh, okay, the, a blood relative. Yeah, Tenassus is a extremely energetic and upbeat person. He's maybe the greatest bench celebrator in the NBA. <laughs> the guy reacts to like a made basket in the second quarter. Like it's the most amazing <laughs> thing he's ever seen in his entire life. You know, like, like Jesus had, has just emerged from, from the cave. Um, but he's not good. <laughs> he's not good. And he's, and he's older than you think, you know what I mean? Like, so he's not, he just plays, absolutely frenetic like he's you know like he just drank 15 cups of coffee and he just runs in every direction and he when he plays he can do you know there's there'll be one or two plays where you get it and you go wow man if you can ever harness that but i i have uh i don't have high hopes that he can harness that i i feel like he's in there's this like club of players who have very very good brothers in the nba and they're they're like good guys, like that you you like them, but they're not good at all. They're not good players. Like Tenassus, um, Jr.'s brother. J- well, J- Jr.'s brother Chris is no longer in the league, but yeah. when he was in the league, he was arguably the worst player in the league. Yeah, exactly. Like they're not good at all, but you kind of have to root for him because it's like, man, that's that guy's brother. You know, they've been compared forever. His brother's super good, and he's Very just tough. sort of around. It's not easy. Well, there's you got you have. Uh, one of the 15 Plumleys on your team. Yeah, our Plumley's good though. I like our Plumley. I think you should resign. You should think about resigning your Plumley. I mean, I think we. It depends if they can trade Monroe, right? Because Monroe's right. expensive. Yes. Do yes. You, do you see a team actually wanting to trade for this dude? Uh... I want to just like throw him to Boston and be done, but I don't know if Boston wants him. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough. Like, what do you? I would assume like the the idea. Like the kind of uh, pie in the sky idea is like flip Monroe for uh, for picks for that'd be, some that'd be beautiful like first right. Um, the downside being first round picks have never been more valuable in the NBA. Yeah. And uh, Greg Monroe, who is an excellent offensive player, kind of like derailed what was for at least an entire season a 
very good slash elite defense. Yeah. Um, so it's tough. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Who, I, I don't know either. Yeah, it's very, very tough. The Pelicans like him because the Pelicans have this thing where they're not good at making decisions. Well, because and, who's, nobody knows who's really running the show. Yeah, that's there. another thing. I'm a Saints fan, so it's kind of funny to me that my football GM is for some <laughs> reason also their basketball GM. Yeah, it's all in the family there. I guess so. Um, that's a that's a whole messy situation. I don't it's have very enough. Messy. I, don't, I don't even want to really get into that, but it's, <laughs> it's super not weird. Good. It's very weird. It's very uh, yeah. It's a very dramatic divorce situation yeah. that is not worth getting into. No. Um, my last Bucks thing I want to touch on you with. Um, do you believe the hype in Point Giannis? I do. Good. I really do. I mean, like, I, the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. Uh, I think if there's a if there's an upside to the Bucks season kind of coming apart and you know the promise of Greg Monroe and to a lesser extent MCW kind of not coming through, it's that. Kid clearly got the green light to just try, <laughs> and you know, and one of those things, and it's been wonderful. Um, I was really surprised, actually, too, like at his playmaking. They, I mean, they keep it simple for him. He's yeah. not really, doing, he's not doing anything. You know, you're not seeing any behind the backs or any anything uh, overly pocket passy. He's not. He's not really. He's not trying to squeeze passes into small places, but he's just making good, basic, smart passes at the right time, and that's a really underrated thing. I mean, I, I, I forget what like if you look at when it happened. Yeah, it's a, it's right before right, the All Star like, break. Right, right before like his, he goes from like 40, 40, 40, 50 assists in November, December, January, February to like. 108 assists in March in 15 games, 50 assists in seven games in April. I mean, it's like, yeah, it was really great. It was really fun. And it was like, it didn't translate to wins, but you can see with him and Jabari. Okay. There's two guys that we can build on these two guys. I would even add Chris Middleton to the mix who took a sure. dramatic leap this season. I didn't yes. think he was going to be that good. I thought three and D guy forever. He showed, I mean, it wasn't like they didn't win a lot of games, but the fact that he just started running the offense after like never doing that before in life, that was cool. That was good. Yeah, and you're it was. Paying him, and you're paying him uh, good coins, so that's a, also a positive. Yeah, it's it's nice. He, he struggled early, so everyone yep. had that moment of panic. Like, uh-oh, did we just do it again? Did we just bucks? <laughs> we didn't bucks yet. I'm very happy about that. We have not yeah. bucks yet. Um, Let's move quickly to playoffs. Um, Let's cover the East first because it's – it's it's there's not much to say. Are the Cavs really going to go into the finals twelve and zero? I mean, they might. The Raptors. I mean, it's a tough matchup because of injuries to them. Damari Carroll is obviously not one hundred percent. Not that. Not that he really is the guy to slow down LeBron James one on one anyway, and that's coinciding with. Just the Cavs getting their shit together in a really profound way. Yeah. Like figuring out, you know, figuring out how to use Love and Fry at the same time and that opening up the offense and all of them and the, the seemingly tumultuous uh, personality problems that had been going on in the months leading up to uh, and around the All-Star break and 
that is has has just gone behind them. I mean, winning certainly helps, but you know they were winning before and they were seemingly seemingly troubled, but they just really seem to enjoy their play right now. You know, um, I mean, it, it's I just don't see them. Lo- yeah, I mean, if they lose a game to the Raptors, it'll be a fluky thing because. Lowry goes crazy and yeah. the bar somehow like gets hot from the outside. But I just, it's very tough. Without Valanciunas, who's not even arguably had emerged as like really their second option go-to scorer. I just don't, it's, you know, it's very tough. The, the thing about the Raptors is I feel like they have talent. Like there's, there's good players there, but for some reason they're very prone to just all being horrible at the same time for, for like no clear reason. I mean, the, against the Cavs, it makes a little bit of sense because, like you said, the Cavs are nuclear lately. Now that Kevin Love is happy, everyone's happy. LeBron's being good teammate. LeBron again. J.R. Smith is just all of a sudden like this two-way miracle player, which is cool. I like J.R. Smith, but um, even against the Heat, at times the Raptors would just sort of mope around like Eeyore, like, "Oh man, we're doing it again. We're Torontoing." Well, I think th- yeah, they're a team that. Um the playoffs clearly were in their like past failures yeah. were in their head to an extent. And they're also a, a team that they have, you know, in Lowry and DeRozan, DeRozan is a imperfect player, um, especially in today's league. He's a slasher who can't really shoot. He's not a great decision maker, um, not a great passer, but is good at what he does. And Lowry is a guy who just plays hard all regular season when not everybody else is playing hard. Yeah. You know, and DeRozan also, you know, it's a contract year for him, so he's really going, you know, like, and then you get to the playoffs when everybody is kicking it up a gear and they just don't really have that other gear. And also injuries have been just brutal to them. Yeah. It's it's been a a sort of tough year for injuries. Not as bad as last season, I would say. Right. Um. Let's move to the fun playoff series. Like we we, we didn't even sound <laughs> excited talking about this one. It was like the Raptors. It sounded like C-SPAN. Let's get to the West. Um. OKC beat Golden State in Golden yeah. State in Game One. Um. Uh, I was watching this game and it was like. It was almost like it was something I'd seen before because I kept going like, okay, now Steph's going to make a three right. and then Clay's going to hit a transition three and then they're going to be up by 10 and then it's game over. That never happened. They lost. Isn't that crazy? Uh, I think it's uh, – well, I mean, it's it's kind of a piece of many of the of most of the regular season games between those two teams where it was uh, seesaw for a while and it seemed like the Warriors were ready to just – put a pin in the whole thing. Um, but something about the Thunder just won't let them quit like other teams will when the when the Warriors just get on one of those rolls where they hit three threes in a row and get some steals and just start running up the score. They never stop they never stop coming. And the Warriors um, I mean you know it's like I don't want to overreact to like one loss, but at the same time they've been even before the Steph injury, they just have a propensity to kind of like lose the plot and get so um, so wound up in how good they are and just doing stuff out there on the court that's amazing that they 
you know, I think that's where the turnovers come from. They just put so much style into their game when they get excited that they can they can just lose the plot. You know, um, it's like they're it's like they're playing for a game breaker in NBA Street. It's exactly what it's like. I mean, Green took some threes that were like, mm, yeah. you know, like in that mm. game they like, uh, and you know, they just are were feeling themselves, uh, and that's really their. I mean, it's I you want to give OKC credit too because Donovan has made all the right moves. Yeah, in terms of. Uh, playing Cantor at the right time, shielding him from the death lineup, um, using, it's just funny how things go. Like we're, we've been talking about, it seems like for the past two years, how the state of the league is small ball now. And then Donovan uh, is going too bigs like at all times because he can't out small ball the Warriors. And that's in large part why they won the game. Exactly. Um, uh, it's just a really, really interesting series uh, with, like, what, four of the t- top ten players in the league? Yeah, it's a great least. series. Yeah, yeah, it's a great series. Um, the thing for me about small ball against the Warriors is, like, no team can do it, I don't think. Like, no one has the pieces. I mean, maybe that Cavs, if they're nuclear hot, I still don't think so. That being said, I think, like, the Cavs took them to six last year. Because they went big. Like, they just, they grabbed every rebound. Tristan Thompson was unbelievable in that series on the offensive glass. Cleveland just kept reloading and say, okay, LeBron, try again. And he's LeBron, so more times than not, he would score. And that got them six games without two of their best three players. I think that's what you have to do. I mean, especially OKC. I I mean, obviously, Durant and Westbrook are their best two players. But, like, their next best, like, four players are all big guys. Steven right. Adams, Ennis Cantor, Serge Ibaka, maybe just three, but still. Like, they need to play those guys. If they try to go small and they don't get those guys minutes, I mean, they're, they're doomed. You can't rely on Anthony Morrow against the Warriors. It's just not going to work out that well. So I think they do have a chance. I, I'm not – I've seen a lot of people say, oh, you know, Thunder and Six. I, I don't know about that. I'm not ready to hand them the series just because I've seen what the Warriors can do. It's terrifying. Um, who do you have going forward here? Uh, I think I would like to see the Thunder win just because that would be exciting. But I, I think the Warriors um, over time will figure it out. I mean, this is kind of something I'm, I'm like writing about for the ringer is just how, um, you know, we base our assumptions off these like large sample sizes of multiple regular seasons. And that shit just blows up in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, it's, it's over. Like, One it's game. like, yeah, it's, you know, it's like um, offense, like the league is moved away from offensive rebounding, like as a whole. And I can't, I can't even count how many games have been turned by offensive rebounds so far in this playoffs. And like you said, Tristan Thompson, like it, it basically um, allowed the Cavs to win those two games in the last finals by by getting those um, offensive rebounds. Um, and like the league has been moving into small ball, and now here is Donovan doing a, you know, utilizing his bigs. Um, Dion Waiters has been hitting massive threes, which is you know we would write him off if this was the regular season. Dwayne Wade hitting four threes, you know, in a series, which is something that he's like never done, like, ever. you know, over two games ever. Uh, it's this, it's just, um, that's, what's great about the playoffs. Like, you know, and it's kind of a thing that um, we don't explore that much other than to say, like, it's a make or miss league. Um, but it is really notable, like how, I mean, it's, it's, it's two different, games almost like you know it's like when one 
the regular season is like learning a language and the playoffs are like trying to get into an argument in that language. Um, <laughs> that's uh, I, that's a, I like that analogy that I'm, I'm definitely going to steal that just so you know, I'm, I'm taking yeah, that. Right. That's mine okay. from now on. Okay. Um, I, I think you're right though. I mean, you just see so many less foul calls. I think the game becomes yeah. so much more physical. Uh, like some of these rebounds, you know, they might be like loose ball, loose ball fouls or over the backs in the regular season at times. In the playoffs, though, it's like everyone just swallows the whistles. I mean, Game 7, Miami-Toronto, the Raptors out-rebounded the hell out of the heat without Whiteside. I mean, like you said, they didn't have Valanciunas either by that point. But they still, I mean, they dominated on the boards because the heat were playing like Justice Winslow at center. And obviously, you're not going to get that many rebounds if your center's a small forward. And it just it just turned the entire pace of the game, I think. It's it's interesting to see how sort of the Warriors who certainly are not going to play big. They they can't yeah. they can maybe they could, they're they're not going to. It'd be dumb. They're built small, it works for them. It's an interesting sort of juxtaposition though, to see like small versus big with a lot of talent on both sides in the West. You know, who I don't I don't think it's, you know, uh, necessarily Whoever wins that style is better for the playoffs. I think that's that would be overblowing it. It will be interesting to see who wins this one situation, though. I agree, and I think that's what's it's what's great about the playoffs. You know, it's like it really becomes about small um, incremental changes that can totally swing a series. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we we covered playoffs, um, which are going to be fascinating. Keep watching them. Um, this podcast will air on. What is today? Wednesday. It'll go up on Thursday. So there'll be another Warriors Thunder game that I'm very excited for tonight. Yep. That we we don't know what happens yet. I think the Warriors are gonna win. As do I. Okay. So hopefully, the, if the Thunder win, I'll just cut this part out. Don't even worry. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> no, leave it in. No, I'll leave it in. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Hopefully the Warriors win though. Then we both look really smart. Um, I want to move on to Game of Thrones because you are the maester. Sure. You'd yes. be probably my favorite maester on the show because I cannot stand Maester Picel. It's, it's good branding. Well, yes, I agree. Picel is quite a uh, craven individual. And it's not even that. That's not even my problem with Picel. I have two problems with Picel. Sure, let's hear it. This, the first is here's this. This is just like it's. An, I, I said juxtaposition before. I'm busting out my vocab list here. Yeah, yeah. This is another juxtaposition because Jason knows everything about Game of Thrones. That's, and I'm just I'm just like some idiot watching the show with takes. So here are my my Maester Picel takes. There's gonna be spoilers here, by the way. Just obviously, we're in season six. You should be caught up. It's the best show on right. television. Right. Um. First, he takes too damn long to walk. Every time he walks, he's old. He's old but like, don't show it every time he walks. It takes three years. <laughs> it's almost as long as the intro, and the intro is stupid well, long. Well, part of that is he has to carry all those chains. Yeah. It's like when you when you uh, when you get your degree, so to speak, in a particular uh, field of study as a maester, you get another link in your chain, and it's of a different metal, and you have to carry that around for life. It's heavy, and he's old. You have to carry a chain around every. There's like this yeah, degrees, so you know so the, much. If you watch, you hear him as he moves. You'll hear the clanking of a chain. Oh, a okay. Long chain. That long chain that he wears around himself, all those links, each link represents a different field of study, you know, be oh. it uh, chemistry, astrology, um, poison making, whatever. Yeah. It, like each, so, you know, metallurgy, each link represents a different field. And he's got a, he's got an extensive chain 
Yeah. He's Channing Tatum. Oh, we went uh, there. Oh, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, my my other Picel problem is that during the Joffrey era, yeah, every Picel line was just him pulling some rule out of his ass to let Joffrey do whatever he wanted. Like, someone would be like, yeah, Joffrey, you can't actually do that. Like, that's against all the rules. And he'd be like, well, actually, I just found an ancient text that says he can do pretty much anything he wants to do, no matter what. And then Joffrey would do it. And I was like, wow, that's, like, so convenient. He has so many of these ancient texts lying around pertaining to all these very specific rules that probably never came up before. Well, I would argue that... um... Well, the role of the maester really is to give impartial advice, um, as well as to administer, you know, um, me- you know, medical help and such, yeah. and also communications. But, uh, you know, Picel has been around for a long time. He served uh, the Mad King Ares. He served King Robert. Uh, I believe he was there for Ares as father well Ares. So it's like you don't stick around for that long unless you know how to get you know, how to be, how to be someplace when the wind is blowing the right way. Yeah. And so he, that's his survival mechanism. It's not pretty, but you know, he's old. So it works. It worked. Um, so I have some game of Thrones stuff for you. Um, I'm trying to go away. Like I said earlier, cause like you're, you're the maester, which is not just me being a D rider. Like you're literally the, the, the ringers maester. So you answer a lot of game of Thrones questions a lot. A lot. Um, I do a lot of that for and, much of my, much of my time is spent doing that. It's a it's a good it's it's nice. I like I learned so much. Like <laughs> I know this week I was really really surprised the Vale had the biggest army. I just assumed it would be the Lannisters. Well, I'm assuming that simply because they haven't fought. I mean, I'll yeah. wait to see what they say. But the Lannisters really were everybody involved in the War of the Five Kings. Um, which was mostly the events of seasons two and three, uh, got <laughs> like it was. It was. Uh, it was a brutal, brutal war, um, and the Red Wedding was primarily Tywin's way of winning the war without having to sacrifice any more of his armies because Rob had won every battle. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, was he had won every battle that he had fought um, against them, so they were just looking for a way to make this end quickly. So I would say that while the Lannisters are by no means weak, um, whatever armies they do have are likely going to be um, largely made up of new recruits, green soldiers who have not been in the field that much um, while the Vale is seasoned and they have not fought at all in any of the conflicts that the realm has seen they're just ready to go they were spain basically sure they sat out they were like yeah we're good yeah they sat it out my favorite part about the war of the five kings is that one of the kings is balon Greyjoy, and he literally held winterfell for five seconds and that was it like he got he got in the title for that i mean he raided some fishing villages well i mean like he sure i mean he well he really he really got the title because he proclaimed himself um, king of the Iron Islands, which is legit. Yeah. There's I mean, been, like, that's legit. I mean, it's not just for, you know, holding, like, Winterfell for, or he didn't really, but, I mean, it's more like Theon did that. But, like, yeah. it, uh, he got that for legitimate 
as legitimate a reason as any of the other kings involved in it, even though his holdings were meager in comparison. I mean, I guess he did a lot more than Renly. Yeah, I mean, Renly never even got up off the mat. Renly... <laughs> he showed up and died right away. <laughs> Renly got dressed in really nice armor and died. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite part of the most recent episode was just Brienne just looking super mad at Melisandre and then leaving. She's like, I'm still mad about this, by the way, just so you know. I'm upset. And then she left. I figured something more was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tenuous alliance that is uh, building there. And I think, um, you know, keeping those two apart is, uh, is a wives move on John or Brienne's part, whoever really is the person that is going to be calling the shots in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise there will be some sparks and not just not Lord of light sparks. Like, Fighting sparks. I have a question for you. I'm not sure you've been asked yet publicly. Do you like the new season? How do you feel about the new season? I think it's it's been great. I mean, it's been really exciting just seeing stuff um, that I haven't expected to see, that I wasn't sure I was going to see, that is a surprise completely to me. Um, That hasn't happened much in the past, but it's happened a little bit this season. And also just the pace. Uh, I know like. It's a little bit jarring in that it feels like you know, when you look at seasons one through five, it was like a lot of setup. Like I was rewatching season one recently just to get ready for this season. Mm-hmm. And it's like almost like that whole season is a pump fake. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it, like, just, it leads you to this Ned thing and it just ends. Yeah, you think oh, these guys are going to be the heroes and this thing's going to happen and then this other stuff's going to happen and then Danny and Drogo are... But no. Nope. That's all... No. That, none of that is legit. <laughs> and um, so it is... It's discombobulating in a sense to all of a sudden be like, oh, man, we're moving. Like, Danny's got her army. John is alive. <laughs> you know, he's no yeah. longer with the Night Squad. Like, Sansa is there. Uh so it's just cool to see the pieces begin to move into something resembling um, an end game formation. Yeah, I was I was a little worried at first, just because like the first two big things to happen were John comes back and Arya gets her sight back. If I recall, I mean there was some Ramsey stuff all along too, right. but those were like two huge developments, and I was sort of like, oh, that like I kind of expected both of those things. So I was a little bit like, uh oh, like is is the show becoming a little more predictable now? Because like you said, like the old seasons, like you had no idea. Well, you had an idea, but I had no idea what the fuck was coming. Right. Like I watched Rob Stark die. I was like, no, I thought he was gonna <laughs> actually do it. That was right. my guy. He he's like dead. He's all of a sudden dead. It was like the most brutal scene ever. Um, so I was a little worried after those two things happened. Like, okay, I kind of saw both of those things coming, and then. Ramsey kills Roos, which I didn't really see that coming. And then the guys in the north were like, okay. That shocked me. That the, the north guys, the, uh, was that the Karstark, I think, who was standing there? Yeah. He, he was just sort of like, ah, okay, whatever. I didn't like Roos that much anyway, so I guess I'll well, work with he, you now. I think he was clearly in on it. He clearly knew what was coming. I thought Ramsey was just sort of like, oh, I'm in a dad-killing mood. I got some bad news, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. But I think you might be right. Maybe it was more of a planned out thing with the Karstarks. Because Roos really wasn't doing much besides just holding down Winterfell, just repping. So I, I think I think you I think I'm going with your theory now. I think it was more planned. 
Yeah, it was definitely planned. I mean, well, because the thing is, Roos wanted to, uh, to an extent, maintain the status quo just with him as the Starks. He wanted to kind of knit, he wanted to knit the North together. He didn't want to piss people off too much because he understood that, you know, his house is pretty much reviled. So he was looking for legitimacy by marrying Sansa to uh, Ramsay and moving to, like, he he didn't stay at the Dreadfort, which he could have done, but he moved to Winterfell, so he had this kind of patina of authenticity as, like, the new warden in the north. And he was just looking to um, politically unify the region at that time, whereas the Car Starks and the Umbers and Ramsay, to a large extent, are just like, you know what, it's a free-for-all right now, this, like... Yeah. Let's just, there's no rules anymore. YOLO. Yeah. I want to play a game before we get going here. Sure. Um, do you trust them or nah about Game of Thrones characters? And I don't It's going to be it's gonna largely be not. Yeah, okay. It's going to be largely nah. Sure. Um, it's not like militarily or anything like that. Just like as a person based on their life decisions, do you trust them? The first one's super easy. Do you trust King Tommen? No. <laughs> It's so easy. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, shouts to King Tommen, who I think with some good mentoring uh, would have been a fine king, but was thrust into this situation not ever thinking that he would be king and is obviously, like, soft as lotioned baby thighs and not <laughs> not prepared to spill blood and, like, just not up for the Um, And also... To be fair to him, there are multiple parties um, involved in the realm's politics right now that that benefit from keeping him weak because it allows them to exert their own power through him. Um, but yeah, I don't trust him. He's like, if I don't know anything, as I keep saying, but I feel like that dude gonna die sometime this season. I I, I don't even know if he's gonna die. I feel like someone will just show up and be like, "Yo, you're not the king anymore. Leave," and he'll be like, "All right." That's fine. <laughs> I mean, somebody's going to kill that motherfucker. He's going to die in some way because I, he's not long. He's just not up for this shit. See, I thought that about Sam, and then he killed a White Walker. So I don't know what to believe anymore. Yeah, but that was that was extenuating circumstances. That was. My thing about Tommen is, look, if I'm married to Marjorie and someone kidnaps her, it takes me no more than four seconds to have every single army troop possible. Like, I'm right. getting Marjorie back by yeah. noon. Like, there's I, no way. I'm just like, ah... They they have some guys and I don't want to do a thing like no I, even if I'm not the king if I'm just like a guy I'm going you, there. Tommen is soft. He's soft. He's soft. What can I say? He's Dwight Howard. He's he soft. was not. He was not raised for this. Yeah, Dwight at least puts up stats. Dwight puts up numbers. <laughs> Tommen, you know, is not putting up numbers unless it's you know a number of kittens that he named. <laughs> I love how he's just anti Joffrey. Um. Let me think of another good one. I guess Ramsey. Do you trust Ramsey? To do what? To, to, I, as, I trust as your Ram boy. As your boy. Well, I trust Ramsey in the sense that he... Uh, I like Ramsey in the sense that he's extremely predictable. Um, he's going to do what... Ramsey is going to torture people, flay people, and be extremely aggressive. I had someone um, email me um, for the maester about how is John going to take Winterfell? Um, and a lot of people who, this is an aside, a lot of people who email me and if they're 
question doesn't get into Maester, I just answer them anyway. For all the people out there, I I do answer questions if they don't get into the bank. But so like my answer was like Ramsey is not gonna sit behind the walls of Winterfell and like especially when faced with a smaller force as John's is likely to be. I mean we saw it last season the way that the Boltons treated Stannis. Yeah, they, it didn't they, go well for Stannis. No, they're just it it does not I mean on on the one hand it is wise to sit there and let let uh, you know an, a very small army spend itself against your walls while you just like eat and chill. Uh, on the other hand, a lot of the families in the North are sitting on the sidelines right now, wanting to see who's going to win, who looks strong. And it behooves Ramsey to kind of snuff out any rebellion as quickly as possible. So if John marches on Winterfell, Ramsey's not going to sit there. Ramsey's going to come out. He's going to fight. Yeah, he's going to roll up on him for sure. Yeah. So, so, so back to your question. I trust Ramsey because I find him predictable. Yeah, you can sort of trust him for that. Um, yeah. Three more, Jamie Lannister. Do I trust Jamie Lannister? I don't. I, I don't do. If, if if that's my guy, I trust Jamie Lannister. I don't trust him. I, in the sense that, um, I mean, I think we've all been kind of fooled into thinking Jamie's like an okay guy over the last season, few seasons. Yeah, they did a good job at that. I hated Jamie Lannister like before they captured him. Then they cut off his hand. I felt a little sorry for him. He had like the funny little hot tub scene. I was like, I don't mind this guy. That's, I mean, that's the genius of of both the books and the show is they take this person that you're like, I hate this character. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, you know what? This, I find myself rooting for this person. There's really, I mean, there's only, you know, Ramsey, Roos, Walder Frey, and, like, the Night's King. That's it for, like, true villains. Like, everyone else is a fully um, fleshed-out character that, while they do terrible things, like Tywin Lannister, you're like, but I understand why they're doing that. Yeah. But no trust for Jamie. Uh, Yeah, I just feel like Jamie. you can't trust a dude who is in this kind of, like, relationship with his sister. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a red flag. It's a red flag. To put it mildly, that's a red flag. Uh, Sir Jorah. I, tr- I trust Sir Jorah. You try- um, Ooh, I, I don't know if I trust Sir Jorah. I, I, I trust Sir Jorah, but I would not touch Sir Jorah. No, yeah, you can't trust. You can't touch him. He can't cut he, his arm off. I saw you said that he can't just cut the arm off. I mean, he can cut it off. It's just that that doesn't always work. One. Yeah. Like it. Can still spread even if you cut it off. Like a lot of that's the common treatment is just cut the shit off. Um, and the other thing is, you know, unless you have a maester or someone uh, versed in medical the medical techniques of the day, you will die of cutting off your arm. Yeah, <laughs> like you need it's over. help with that. You can't just do that on your own. So yeah, he's not. He doesn't have a, like a lot of great options right now. And the other thing is, like, if you tell people that you have this thing. They'll be like, yo, kill yourself now. (laughs) You know, like, get away from me, one, and kill yourself now, or I'm going to kill you. So it's like a very, it's touchy, you know, like you can't, you have to be careful who you tell. Yeah, it's it's literally a touchy subject. Last one. Dario, I think his his last name, Naharis? Naharis. Naharis, Dario Naharis. Dario Naharis. I almost got it right. That's pretty good. Uh, I don't trust Dario Naharis. He's he's a sellsword, so by definition you can't trust them. If somebody comes along, 
you know, with the right offer, he may switch sides. I'm not saying he would switch sides. I think he's devoted to Danny. I believe that, but the dude is the dude is for sale by definition. That's true. Uh, see, I I get I get one over easier than you. You're more logical. Like he right. just does so much boss. Shit, I'm like I kind of have to. Like I don't right. have a choice. He's proved himself to me. I, I left out Jon Snow because who doesn't trust Jon Snow? You gotta trust. Yeah, I mean, you. We have no choice but to trust him right now. He was literally loyal until his death, and then he came back, and he's still barely not loyal. He, I trust Jon Snow with my life. I mean, he's like oh, Jon Snow is. Uh, if he's, if anything, he's too loyal to how f- sad he is. It's like Jon Snow's. I said I said this in my piece, but like Jon Snow's big plan before Sansa showed up was like. I'm just gonna like put a coat on and walk out of Castle Black, and that's it. I'm just gonna walk around, and that's my idea. It, it wasn't that's, a good plan. It was like a very weak plan, and like, also it was like he's like, "Yo, Ned, I quit. Here's my cloak. Peace." And then he just goes to his bedroom. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, I thought he was like entirely out of the castle, and they come back. He's just in his room. I was like, that was the worst walkout I've ever seen. Man, it's like some really. It's like he got I, grounded. It's some very sixteen-year-old. But go, I mean, go to your room, John. Okay. To be fair, to be fair, Book John is like seventeen years old. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, wait. Can you clear up a, a conspiracy theory I have real quick? Absolutely. How did they kill Prince Tristane? Because I was I was positive he was on the boat with Jamie and them. Yeah, the boat was at King's Landing. This was not really presented 100% clearly. The boat was heading back to um, Sunspear or to Planky Town or wherever it takes off from in Dorne. Yeah. And, but was still like in the harbor at King's Landing and at some point they had slipped onto the ship. Oh. How to get ahead of the ship? I don't know. Okay. That's like some, that's some mystery. Um, parentheses the show just wanted to get out of Dorne and not have to go there again yeah I was a little sad I thought Tristan could have an interesting little plot line he's real mad and stuff he's in King's Landing but he's dead now so that's not happening those people scare me by the way sand snakes yeah the sand snakes scare the hell out of me I can't, you can't trust sand snakes 100% you can't trust them they're known for poisoning you should never ever kiss a sand snake on the dock as you're leaving f***ing Dorne <laughs> Such a bad idea at the time. Never, never ever do that. Everything was going so well, and they did the kiss. I was like, "Oh, she's a hundred percent dead now." Hundred ten percent. They're named after poisonous snakes. <laughs> I mean, like, you don't need more hints than this. <laughs> it was. I mean, there was the whole bra- the brand thing. Bron, 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 Bran is the 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 psychic kid. Bron's my my other dude. I trust Bron with my life too, even though he left Tyrion high and dry. I don't know if I trust Bron. Well, I trust Bron to do what's best for Bron, so in that sense, I trust Bron. Yeah, that's true. Um, we got to get rolling here. Do you have any plugs you want to you know, you want to shout out anything? Ringer.com. It will launch at some point. Check our Facebook page for different things that happen and sign up for the newsletter. Oh, that was a good plug. Scoop. The Ringer will launch at some point. I'm very, very excited. Tunish. I'm super Tunish. excited for this, by the way. They tell me nothing, but uh, we are uh, gearing up for full uh, website status velocity yeah i'm ready for it i can't wait um follow jason on twitter at network you probably already do because everyone does but it's at net w3rk i believe that's right that's my xbox live tag 
Oh, solid. You had them on Xbox too, I guess. Um, follow me on Twitter at Ty Windish, T-I Windish. Follow the site at Behind the Bucks. Uh, check out all our great content. Last second, thank you, Joey Burbs. He makes the intro and outro music for this podcast. It's super lit. Check out his music at joeyburbs.com. Jason, thank you for coming on, my man. Shouts to Joey Burbs. Shouts to Joey Burbs. Thanks, dude. Yeah, thanks, man.